Okay, so let's open our Bibles in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. For the next few weeks, we're going to be reflecting. I know that Christmas, we call it like the silly season, you know, you see all of the silliness that's going on all around us. We're rushing around, pressure to be consuming things and buying things. And as we've already, as Denise has mentioned this morning, what did it mean to you before you came to the Lord? What did Christmas mean to you? I know what it meant to me. Goodness me. But praise God. Praise God that He's opened our eyes to the, the real meaning of what Christmas is. And uh, I know there's disputes over the dates. I know that it didn't necessarily happen in December. But it doesn't really matter because what we're here to do is to think about the significance of the event. Whenever that event took place, whether it was in September, whether it was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Sunday, it's about what it means to us. And really, I, I think, you know, I know, knowing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will always glorify Christ. He always points us to the Son. Okay? And that's exactly what He wants to do during the Christmas season. He's, he's point us back to the Son. To meditate upon the Son, the Son of God. And all that that means for us as a creation. Today the title of the message is, it's all in the name. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 <coughs> to verse 33. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, <coughs> and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's just bow our heads and our hearts one more time. Father, we just draw near to you this morning, Lord. We come around, Lord, the scripture. Your precious gift to us, your word to us. Lord, and help us to go there. Lord, in our mind's eye, Lord, to see the seed, to hear the words of fresh water, to consider the meaning of that proclamation, of that, that annunciation, Lord, and, and just pray that you would come and just open the eyes of our understanding. To hear those living words echoing across the centuries, Lord, to speak to us today. Help us, Holy Spirit, help me to communicate what that which you dropped onto my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Just want to draw your, your attention back to that particular. Let me just read that again. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. You know, one of the, one of the difficult things we do as ministers of the gospel are funerals. And uh, what always astonishes me when we're preparing the eulogy and you start to, to write down, you're listening to all of the information and you've got to go away and prepare a eulogy, you don't want to get anything wrong. But you're basically just reflecting on all of the things that have taken place in the life of the deceased. You know, all of the places they've been and, and the things they've conquered in life, the achievements, you know, they've reached in life and so on. And it's quite humbling <coughs> as you're just thinking about this, this life. It might be 80, 90 years, I don't know, maybe younger, but you just think about all the things this person, the purpose that this per per person's life has had, reflecting as you put the eulogy together. But you see here, we actually get told the purpose for Jesus' life right at the outset. It's actually announced by the angel Gabriel. Exactly what's going to take place in the Son of God's life. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow. <coughs> That's awesome, isn't it? Let's do this morning, obviously, shortly. Praise God. Praise God. So we get to reflect. We get to reflect upon, on, on, his, on that, that, that message that came from heaven concerning the Son of God right at the outset of his life. He was born into the world with purpose. Praise God. And that purpose was not determined by himself as such. It was determined by the Godhead. There was a plan of salvation that was being activated through those events 2,000 years ago in that little town of Nazareth, although it says city, it was most probably a small village, maybe 250 to 500 inhabitants. That's it. A small, insignificant town in the Galilean hills. Praise God. And that's exactly where the angel Gabriel sent from heaven, heaven's messenger, to speak with the young maiden, Mary. Mary of Nazareth. I just want you to, to think about that. Bless the Lord. You shall call his name Jesus. All oh, that name that is so precious to us. Jesus. But you know that Jesus is actually transliterated from the Greek, Jesus. Okay, so if you were walking around the Galilee in the first century, yes, some of them may have known some Greek. And you'd have called out the name Jesus, he probably wouldn't have turned around. Okay? <coughs> because we know that his name was Yeshua. Yeshua. Okay? Actually, Yeshua derives from the, the well the English term Joshua. And we see the name Joshua. We see Joshua, son of Nun. It was the successor of Moses. But we all see, also see in the book of Zechariah a high priest by the name of 
Joshua. So in the Hebrew, it would have been something like Yehoshua. Okay, Yehoshua. But by the time of Jesus, it was called Yeshua. They'd kind of given a smaller version of it, a little bit like Robert and Bob. So Yeshua was a smaller version of Joshua, as we would say, Yehoshua. Yeshua. And again, I know that today, just recently, there's a, there's a lot of debate about, you know, what was his proper name? Was it Yahshua? Folks, Yeshua. Okay? Do, do your research. Yeshua. Praise the Lord. Mary was told by Gabriel that she, a virgin, would conceive in her womb. It was to be a miraculous birth. A miraculous birth. He would be son of the highest. Son of the Most High. Goodness me, I mean, you know, we, we're so used to hearing this year on year. Will you imagine Mary hearing these words? I mean, goodness me, revolutionary, to say the least. He will be Son of the Highest. What's interesting is that around 700 years, 750 years before that time, that, that, that message came to Mary of Nazareth, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah. You've all heard of him. You've all read the story in his book. Yes? The prophet Isaiah he prophesied around the same time as Micah that I read to you at the service. And uh, we read about a sign that was given to Isaiah when he was about to, to face destruction by two kings. There were two kings that had come together, including the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Aram, or the Syrians. Okay? And so they joined together and they were coming up against or going to, to fight against Jerusalem. And then God says to Isaiah, to ask him to ask me for a sign. And then Ahaz, the king, refuses to ask. He says, I will not put the Lord God to the test. And so then God says, I will give you a sign. And you all know the scripture, don't you? The virgin, Isaiah 7 verse 14, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We sung about it this morning. It's interesting that we didn't, we didn't uh, talk to one another about what was going to be spoken about this morning. But it's interesting to talk about the name. We're singing about the name this morning. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. That would be the sign. But it wasn't just a sign for Isaiah. It was a sign ultimately for the whole world. Because it spoke about the Messiah of Israel. It spoke about the Christ as we refer to him. The virgin, the maiden, the young maiden shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It's all in the name, isn't it? But what about the name Yeshua? Well, the name Yeshua derives from two Hebrew words, Yah, which is the name of God, and Yasha, which means salvation. So his name, again, if you were reading this, and we're talking about the original Hebrew and Aramaic, you'll be talking about the name Yeshua. You shall call his name Yeshua, which means Yah, God, is salvation, or God saves. It's all in the name. It's all in the name. You shall call him God is salvation or God saves. Isn't that amazing, folks? Amen. Bless the Lord. That's our Messiah. That's our Christ. That's our Savior. 
Praise God. It's all in the name. He is Emmanuel. God with us. The birth of Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy that was given by Isaiah 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. God is with us. God is with us. John speaks about this in John chapter 1 verse 1. He says, in the beginning, and we talked about this earlier on, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the reasoning as the Greeks. They saw the order and they just, they understood that it was it was that which the mind, if you want, that had ordered everything. The reasoning behind everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's so clear. The Word was God. Jumping down to verse 14 of chapter 1 of John, it says, And the Word, God, the Word became flesh. Oh my goodness. And dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, this is the wonder of Christmas. It's not the bright lights as beautiful as the Christmas trees are. It's not about that. It's not about Santa Claus. Santa Claus, if you go to, to, to Brazil, it's a demon that, that identifies as Santa Claus. If you go to the spiritist center. It's not about Santa Claus, folks. It's the wonder of the incarnation. God incarnate. Heaven coming to earth. Hallelujah. That which is pure. That which is holy and eternal. Coming into this fallen and broken and sinful world. That's the wonder of the incarnation. Let me read to you a quote from Mileto. who was Bishop of Sardis. One of the church fathers in AD 170. Listen to what he said. Though the Son was incorporeal, which means non-material, okay? He formed for himself a body after our fashion. He appeared as one of the sheep, yet he still remained the shepherd. He was esteemed as a servant, yet he did not renounce the sonship. He was carried in the womb of Mary, yet arrayed in the nature of his father. He walked upon the earth, yet he filled heaven. He appeared as an infant, yet he did not discard the eternity of his nature. He was invested with a body, but he did not circumscribe the unmixed simplicity of his divinity. He needed sustenance inasmuch as he was man, yet he did not cease to feed the entire world inasmuch as he is God. He put on the likeness of a servant, while not impairing the likeness of his father. Oh, wow. That's plenty to, to, to feast upon there, isn't it? To reflect upon. God became man. Hallelujah. God took upon himself human flesh. When we're talking about that, folks, we're not just saying that God came in a bod. Alright? It's not that God put on a body like a shell. It's the perfect union of, of deity and human humanity, human nature coming together in Christ. It preserved the two, the two natures, the divine, the deity of Christ and the human nature together, perfectly united in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, nowadays, in our churches, especially our Pentecostal churches, we're, we're looking more for the touchy-feely, you know, and, and what we feel and the heart, all about the heart. I'll tell you now that centuries ago, in the time of, of this guy, we've just read about, and other church fathers, 
These truths are wonderful. These truths, they would, they would speak about the meticulous details. You know, nowadays you've got people, oh, that don't matter, it's all about your heart. Oh my goodness, this was in the heart. This was in the heart. This truth, God becoming flesh. Wow. Wow. So, I want to talk to you about the purpose of the incarnation. Why? We all, we all know, don't we? He came to die. That's what we usually, you know, just, uh, we just summarise it as. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. What was the purpose of the incarnation? Number one, to reveal himself fully. To reveal himself. God wanted to reveal himself fully. John chapter 1 verse 18, Jesus says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. The Son of God came to declare Him. In other words, to make Him known, to explain Him. To reveal to the world what God is truly like. Hebrews 1 verse 3, part, part A says, Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of his person. The express image of his person. An interesting word, if you look at that in the Greek, it's the word character. Character. And actually it was an engraving tool originally. But it also describes the impression of uh, 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 maybe a, a seal, you know? You know the seals on the on the, <coughs> the documents and they take a ring and they just, you know, you have usually the, the king's head or something. And it would be an impression that was put upon that, that seal, that wax seal. It is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus represents, he, he teaches us, he explains, he, he makes known God, the unseen God. Colossians 2 verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness, all of the plenitude, all of the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Folks, God speaks. God speaks. And this is one thing we need, to, we need to learn from this this morning, is that God makes himself known. The reason being is that he desires to be known. He makes himself known so that he might be known. So that we can enter into a relationship with him. Because you don't have any kind of meaningful relationship with someone that you don't know. Isn't that true? He makes himself known. He how does he do? He reveals himself as Lord, the sovereign Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. We've seen his, his glory. We see that the, there is a creator. We see all over creation. You just have to look at a beautiful, clear night sky and you see the stars in the heavens. You go out and have a walk through the woods and just look at the order. Look at everything. All the, the, the living creatures all around you. Look at going out and walking in the springtime and see the new life budding on those trees. Do you know, it's all around us. He speaks through creation. He speaks more specifically through his word. He's given us his precious word. That all of us, we've got, we've got numerous translations of his word, haven't we? Every time you open the word, folks, it's not that like you can just... Trying to acquire some more intellectual knowledge. You're opening the word of the living God. That God wants to reveal something more of himself to us. All of it. Old Testament and New Testament. Despite what some people are claiming. That we need to unhinge the New Testament from the Old Testament. 
ridiculous. It's like taking the foundations out of the building, you know? It's all of the revelation of God. Hallelujah. Unlike the pagan deities who were impersonal, God is personal. God is personal. Wow. I love that. You know, David was thinking about it. And this is what he said in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? When, when I, in other words, when I consider how great you are, all the amazing things that you have done in this universe, you know, by, by, the, by the word of your mouth, you speak things into existence. Why are you bothered with me? What is it about me that calls your attention? Wow. God has revealed himself fully in Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. What is God truly like? How does he interact with us? Look to Jesus. As you're reading through the Gospels, folks, as you're thinking about the miracles, and don't just look at the miracles that he did. Think about the things that he said. Think about the way that he interacted. Think about the things that brought him great joy. Think about the things that grieved him and upset him. Because what you're seeing there is an exact representation of God. That's what upsets God. That's what brings joy to God. You understand? Like you, but as I'm reading through, you can see that it doesn't like religious hypocrisy. doesn't like it. But you know, you see how merciful he is and how wonderful he is when somebody, a broken sinner, comes broken because of their sin and pours out their hearts before him. He lifts them up. That's the God we serve. That's the character of God. It's not about what we think he is. What I've learned over the years, folks, that many of the things that I think about God have been wrong. You've got to base your understanding of God upon you. His word, primarily. His word. His word. Do you know him? Not do you know about him? Do you know of him? Do you know him? Let me tell you something. If you say yes to that, know that there's always something else to know. There's always something more to know. Something more to learn. Praise God. Second thing. Purpose of incarnation to relate to us personally. To relate to us personally. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Not wonderful. You see, beyond us knowing him, he knows us. He knows us. And I'm just not just talking about he knows our name, he knows all these abstract things about no folks. He knows because he's being in our skin, so to speak. Yet without sin. And you say, well, how was that then? Well, Adam, when he came into the world, was without sin until he fell. Okay? He knows what it is to be human, to represent us fully. He needs to experience what it was to be human. Which included experiencing our weaknesses. That's why when you read through the gospel, you see Jesus is very often tired. You see him weeping. You'll encounter him leaping for joy. You'll see him one day angry and throwing over the tables in the temple courts. Because he experienced what it was to be human. Why is that? So that he can sympathize with us. So they can have compassion upon us because he knows what it's like. 
Because so often we can we can put God so distant, so transcendent. What's the word? Transcendent. That's right. Transcendent. He's so far away because you know he's just so holy and glorious and majestic, and I'm just such a weasel. And that's how we can feel sometimes. But we need to remember that this God, this glorious, majestic God, the creator of the universe, stepped down into our existence. Stepped down into our world. Felt what it was like to be weak. Felt, went into the desert. I preached about it recently to feel the pressure. The pressure of temptation. To overcome it so that we can overcome. So that it might represent us. Perfectly, praise God. He experienced the range of human emotions that we did. He rejoiced, he wept, he felt angry, he felt weakness. Therefore, he can sympathize with us. Isn't it wonderful when you're going through something and somebody comes along, you know, and they give you all the advice, but the truth is they just haven't gone through what you're going through, but they don't know what it is. But when you're talking to somebody who knows what you're going through, who have been through it, then you know they can have sympathy. You know, that can sympathize with you in your weakness. That is Jesus. When you're on your knees before him, and you're crying out those things that are perturbing your soul, the challenges that you're going through, the difficulties, the weaknesses, the, I don't know, the fears, the anxiety, all these things, you can bring them before him because he knows. Amen. He knows. He can sympathize with you. But he can't, he's not just about leaving you in that mess and feeling sorry for you. He can give you what you need to lift you out of it. Yes, amen. This is the Lord that we serve. Hebrews 5 verse 2 says, He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. That was one of the criteria for being a high priest. He had to experience what it was. Jesus experienced what it was to be human. How do we relate to him? How do you relate to him? As someone who comprehends us, or is so distant, so far removed from us that we couldn't relate to him? And he couldn't possibly relate to us. But he absolutely does relate to us personally. In Jesus. He knows exactly what it is to be human. Praise God. God comprehends us fully. And therefore he can give us whatever we need. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Third one. Kind of ties into the second one really. To represent us completely. To represent us completely. Romans says, therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Oh, bless the Lord. I said to you, I think it last week or the week before, you know, when Jesus came, he came to undo all of the mess, all of the wrongs that we committed. All of our failures, all of our flaws, he came to sort it out. He came to represent us completely. Adam had introduced sin and all its consequences into our world through his act of disobedience with Eve in the garden. And let me tell you, Adam was just a prototype. He was just the first one. We would have done exactly the same. And we've done exactly the same. We sin like he sinned. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
However, in order to represent us fully, Christ also had to become one of us. But he had to become one of us and live the perfect life of obedience that we didn't live. See, when we think about his substitution, we think about his, his, his substitutionary death and his work of atonement, we usually just think about the cross, what he did for us on the cross. And we should do. But he doesn't stop there. Because we're justified, not just by what he did on the cross, but by his perfect obedience. He lived the life that we have never lived and never could live. That's why he has become our righteousness. Hallelujah. Christ came as the last Adam and the second man. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 47. As the second man, he lived a life of righteousness, perfect righteousness and perfect obedience. To the Father. Glory to God. He obeyed for us. He died for us. But he also lived for us. He was raised for us. To perfectly, perfectly and completely represent us. This is our Jesus. God made flesh. Finally, he came to rescue us eternally. To rescue us. Oh God. You know, the Lord would be perfectly just. Just to leave us wallowing in our sin and hopelessness. To face justice and wrath. He would have been perfectly just to do that. But he chose not to. He chose not to. Bless the Lord. The Lord revealed to Joseph, Matthew 1 verse 21. When he's talking about Mary, he says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Earlier on in Isaiah, and elsewhere as well, we see Isaiah chapter 43, verse 11. The Lord declares, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no saviour. The Lord says, I am the Lord, I am God, and besides me, there is no Saviour. It is only God who can save. Yes, only God can save. So when you're hearing from, from people who are involved in cults and so on, oh, it was just a creature, you know, just a, just a perfect man that saved us. No, that's contrary to the Scriptures. The Scriptures reveal that only God can save us. And that is why we say that God came in the flesh. The whole of the testimony of Scripture bears witness to the fact that it was God who stepped down. It was God who came into our world. It is God who is our Saviour. Yahweh or Yah is salvation. Yeshua. God is salvation. In other words, He's a saving God. Salvation carries various connotations in the Scriptures. It can mean national deliverance, relief from slavery, recovery from illness, healing of a disease, release from prison, or rescue from troubles. And you know, salvation involves all of that, doesn't it? If you think about your life, very often God saves you out of certain things. He saves you out of your sicknesses. He saves you out of your troubles, and your trials, and your problems. He saves you, but His salvation goes much deeper than that. Much broader, it, 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 it spans much broader, praise God. It is an eternal salvation because our God is a God who saves. Psalm 68 verse 20. Our God is the God of salvation. He's the God of salvation. 
In Revelation chapter 7 verse 10 we see the redeemed from the tribulation. They're crying out salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to Him. He's chosen to step into our predicament. He's chosen to reach out His arm to save and not to destroy. Hallelujah. He's a merciful and loving God. That's the wonder of the incarnation. When He stepped from the glory of heaven, took on Himself human form. Hallelujah. There was no pomp and circumstance, friends. It was a simple feeding trough. Okay? It was simple. And we know that He moved amongst those Galilean peasants very often. He was more at home amongst the peasants than he was amongst the pageantry. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Christ knew he had been born into the world to bring about the salvation of humanity. That was his purpose. His purpose was to die in our sin. Isn't that wonderful? It doesn't stop there, of course. He will reign. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. John 12, verse 27. Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And he understood his purpose to die for you and for me. Bless the Lord. Hebrews 9, verse 26. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hallelujah. He's appeared. He's been brought into the world. That purpose, John, at the River Jordan, declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Who bore all of your sin and your shame and your guilt upon Calvary's altar, friends, upon that tree of Calvary. Who became a curse for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Bless the Lord. Thank you. That's the wonder of Christmas. That's the wonder of the incarnation. <coughs> Why did God choose to do this? Simply because He loves us. Because He loves you. He chooses to love you. And love is a verb in the Bible, okay? We need to love. We need to show action. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a mere word. He, he takes action to demonstrate His love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly like me and you. Died for us who do not deserve it. And we'll never deserve it. We'll never reach the standard. We don't deserve it. Do we trust Him to save us? Do we trust Him fully? You know, on that day when we stand before Him, the only thing that will qualify you to stand in the presence of the Most High One, the Most High God, the Holy One, the only thing that will qualify you to stand in His presence on that day it's because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus yes, Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Put your trust and faith in Him and Him alone. That alone. All the things you've gone through throughout your life. When they read your eulogy out at your funeral one day, unless the Lord comes first. You know, they read about the things you've done for the Lord and the places you've visited. All of those things, wonderful, brilliant. But the only thing that will qualify you to stand before Him for eternity is what He has done for you on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Praise God. We're going to put our trust in Him to save us because there is no God other than Him. There's no Saviour other than Him. To finish, what have we learned this morning? God became flesh. That little Christ child in that little feeding trunk in Bethlehem. God became flesh. 
all of the fullness of the Godhead was dwelling in bodily form in Christ Jesus. That little Christ child would grow and he'd become the saviour of all mankind. He came to reveal himself to us. He came to be able to relate to us in our humanity. He came to represent us in his obedience to the Father. And finally came to rescue us from the eternal consequences of sin. Bless the Lord. That is the wonder of Christmas. Yes, let's, let's just pray. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Bless it in the name of the Lord. Father, we glorify and honour you this morning for the Christ child. We glorify and honour you this morning, Father. But 2,000 years ago, the angel Gabriel was sent from your presence to the young maiden in Nazareth. Lord, to declare that, Lord, your son would be born into the world. Lord, he would be born miraculously. Lord, he would be given the name Jesus, Yeshua. God is salvation. Lord, we thank you. You are a saving God. And you are the only one that can save mankind from their sins, Lord. From the consequences, from an eternal hell. Lord, we thank you that you came into the world because you're a saving God. Because you're a God of love. It is your love that compels us, Lord. It is your love, Lord, that has been demonstrated in Him, Lord. And we just want to say thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you took upon human flesh. You took upon yourself human flesh. Lord, in that little baby in Bethlehem. Human nature, humanity, and deity were united in the person of Christ. Lord, may, may we be in awe of this wonderful truth, Father. May we reflect on this during the coming days and what it means for us. Because this is the wonder of Christmas. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you that God became flesh. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll worship the Lord.